Welcome to Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, today I'm super excited that my good friend Tony Lilios is joining us. Tony and I met, what was it, Tony? Maybe almost 10 years ago now? 10 years ago. Wow. I'm getting the 10 sign on video from Tony in a coaching program in San Francisco. What I didn't know then, but I do know now is that Tony is a serial entrepreneur and adventurer and an endurance athlete. On top of that, he's an integral coach as we both got certified, but he's also had the opportunity to speak at TEDx a couple of times. He is the father of two children, which I believe has been one of the bigger adventures of his life. And Tony lives near Lake Tahoe with his partner. Last time I saw Tony there, as I recall, we were having dinner at our friend Lauren's, shout out to Lauren, at her home. And Tony was busy trying to convince Lauren's partner to go hydrate foiling over Lake Tahoe with him, which I believe happened later that week. So Tony, we're super excited to have you here today. Yay. I'm very excited (laughs) to talk to both of you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just start with your journey. I mean, you have lived multiple different lives, my friend. And so I would love to hear a little bit about your journey, the ins and the outs and the ahas and the things you might've learned along the way and kind of what got you to where you are today. Yeah, I'll start way back when. So I grew up in suburban Connecticut, middle of nowhere, immigrant parents. And there's something about my childhood. I'm the youngest of four. I was an accident, five years to <laughs> me and my nearest sibling. It took a while for my mom to admit that. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. I'm an oops child. I'm okay. <laughs> but as immigrant parents, there's something implicit about, especially back in those days, but maybe even still to this day. But you kind of leave things behind, you set out on a journey, and you have faith that you're going to somehow find your way. And that informed my childhood. I feel like they parented with that kind of philosophy. We had other first-generation American friends that was kind of our cohort. And so it was all these people blazing trails, making things seemingly that might have been unfathomable or impossible into reality. So that was just the soup I swam in. We didn't name it that, but that was true. And so if you had a crazy idea, it wasn't met with, man, that's so crazy. It was met with, how can I help? Let's dream on. And like, even if we were deliberately being crazy, it would get respect and engagement as if it was really going to happen. Let's like, let's go and take over a bar on a Greek island for the summer and we'll give them a summer <laughs> vacation and we'll call this bar a catastrophe and we'll get all our friends to work and you'll work the beach and you'll do the bar and I'll work the front <laughs> door. And like, yes, and where will we get the money and how will we pay for it? And all our ideas were given that kind of credence. I don't know if that's the right word for it. And so I felt like I lived where my dreams were respected and honored and fueled from a very young age. And I think that's a, that's a thread line that I've been pulling ever since. I came out west. I grew up in Connecticut, came out west to California, came to school here, traditional engineer, had one and only job in my life working for a company called IDEO, but they were kind of very progressive product design firm, kind of 
designing new products for Apple and all kinds of crazy companies. But until that point, I'd only worked for myself, done my own thing, never really had a job, just always had little businesses, and then started my own businesses, plural, after I left IDEO at the age of 27 and kind of haven't looked, haven't looked back. Wow. So I totally heard your point about swimming in the soup of people supporting your dreams, but still that's a big step off of a ledge from working for a company like IDEO that was working with all these cool companies to start in your own businesses. So how was that for you when that happened? So it helps to hold hands. So I jumped with three other people that I worked with. So that jumping felt a little, and I had huge respect for those other three and still do. So that was a big part of it. There's such a strong vision of where we could go and, and the limitations of what, if we were to stay at IDEO, that was, oh, but that'll only go so far. There's a ceiling, like, and we don't want a ceiling. So it was a clear vision of what is possible. And then this crazy thing happened is that as we started pretty quickly, we got the the full force of IDEO coming into our office, essentially telling us we can't do what we're doing. You know, we're going to have a cease and desist. We're going to put the lawyers. You can't talk to our former clients. And there was a little like, wow, I'm really scared. But then also like, maybe we're up to something. Right. <laughs> like, was there a little bit of like, it, fuck you in there too? Or what? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell? You don't belong in our office. Like, get yeah. out. We're kind of shaking in our boots. But it did really make us feel like because when you're starting something you're like i don't know i'm not really making that much money or i'm making money just to buy the computer to put the lights on to to hire that person or like you're not really making money so when you get that kind of resistance or response it helped us stand stronger like oh yeah oh no fuck you and we're gonna like stand up even stronger because we need to right now in this moment. And we felt emboldened from that. And it was kind of an odd moment in time for us. And then to have clients come to our side. So we had Cisco and Apple, our big first big clients, that were like, IDEO, you sit down in your chair. We will still work with you. And it's not a zero-sum game. We'll work with you. And these guys over here that we've worked with years, we want to work with them. So don't get in our way. Or we're going to penalize you. So they like kind of were standing behind us and we're like, yeah, what they said. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> well, and it's interesting to me to think about 27 years old and were your three other colleagues that you jumped in together with, were they all in a similar stage of life? They're a little older. Some of them had kids. It was a bigger risk to jump into that. I was like, if they can do it, that was emboldening for me too. It's like, if they can take this risk, then little old me, 27-year-old, could do that. I did also do this thing. I haven't talked about this for a while, but I did grow a goatee, a long hair, and kind of had a Guido, like, pulled back <laughs> ponytail thing. Nice. That kind of gave me a bit of an older look. And so I was very conscious of, without beard, I had kind of a baby face. I, I was conscious of my youth and kind of was always trying to pretend to be older. Well, I don't know a lot about your company, but the little I know is it did pretty well, Yeah. Yeah, so we created Spec, which was a consulting firm that became a platform for us to start a bunch of product-oriented businesses. And so Spec Products, the case company, so we invented the hard case category for mobile phones. So people had done leather cases and rubberized cases, and we took the leap to start making hard cases for mobile devices. 
that's the one with the asterisks and the parentheses. That is definitely the biggest company of mine. But there have been other companies we started out of that generation with my partners back then. There was four other companies. And I have since started three other companies that are still alive and well. And so, yeah, it's just kind of part of my DNA. And I always feel weird, like the serial entrepreneur. Yeah, that's true. But parallel entrepreneur sounds so like quirky, but it is like I normally have multiple going concerns at one time. It's it's kind of I'm always doing a bit of a juggling match. And it's just so interesting to think about how these seeds might have been sown at such a young age with your family, which is let's go do this. Let's try this. Anything is possible. 100%. There's a picture I wish I could show you if we were on video and I had it handy where my family of six and another Greek-American family of four were in suburban Connecticut. We're going to go to Block Island. And we're like, yeah, let's go to Block Island in our station wagon and bring all our bikes. And there's this (laughs) picture of my dad with rope that has tied 10 bikes onto a (laughs) Buick station wagon with 10 of us riding in the car to Block Island. And we're like, of course, we can do this. We can, we'll, like, we'll make it happen. My dad's uh, wrote with soap on the window, don't get married. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> there was a can-do attitude. It feels weird to say that because that's not what we said in the moment. It's just the way we lived. But now, forensically, I can go back and look at, oh, that's the soup. That was the ingredients. That was the flavor of what was going on. It was just kind of implicit. It was just how we were. And it's kind of how I live. I'm wondering what the connection there then is to some of the more adventurous parts of your life. I mean, you're an Ironman athlete. You've climbed a bunch of shit. <laughs> like you've done a lot of these things. And I'm just wondering, is that for the, those same seeds that Sherry was just talking about? Absolutely. That there is a sense of always finding a way. Like there is a way through and externally, sometimes I get labeled as like an adrenaline junkie or an adventure junkie. And I don't feel like a junkie by any means. And that I just don't see barriers when other people see barriers. And maybe part of me goes less so now, but part of me, I think, and more so in the past, is if someone thought there were a barrier and I didn't see it as a barrier, then I'd kind of want to show you. Like, really? You think that's a barrier? But then it's not so much like, watch me hold my beer. But there is some of that. And I think by way of not hold my beer and like, screw you, but hold my beer and come with me. It's cool over here. That's not true. Let me show you another narrative and maybe you can break down your own narratives. And so I feel like I was always doing this for myself. And then at some point I woke to the view that Oh, not everyone is like this. Like, <laughs> other people actually think that's a brick wall. And that must suck. That totally must suck. And I, you could see like, oh, yeah, if you think that's a brick wall, I could see why you behave the way you do. But it's really like I'm over here on the side of the brick wall. You're like, come on. The water's warm. Come on over. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so that can manifest through coaching or it could be like, come do something with me that you thought you couldn't do before or it's out of your comfort zone. So I love bringing people to those spaces where they're like, never thought I'd do that. Never thought I could do that. So I like that place. That's really cool. Now, what's happening for you and you kind of your personal life during this whole time? How are things evolving for you? Yeah, lots of business, struggles up and down, economy up and down, companies up and down. And one of the things I started doing in the 90s was triathlon. And 
one of the things that emerged for me was like, wow, here's a thing that I can control. It's me. It's me, my training, my performance, my races. I don't have partners. I don't have economies. I don't have employees. It's just like, let me draw a little circle on this side of the board. And this is Tony's world that I get to have my own identity. I get to do it as hard or as soft or whatever. And I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that that's why I got some more energy because it was like, oh, this is my own little dojo, my own little sandbox I get to play in. I found a lot of growth through triathlon and it was kind of a sloppy, haphazard world of personal development. And it kicked up uh, in 2009 when I was doing the things that I do. I got a bunch of people to sign up in April of 2009 to do their first half Ironman. So it was like a room full of 60. I got 40 people, maybe some alcohol was involved to like sign up. <laughs> a little arm for twisting. A, yes. <laughs> six months from now, you guys, we're all going to do this half Ironman and a bunch of you can't swim. You don't own bikes. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do this and I'll support you on the journey. And I had done a couple of half Ironmans and I went to my room that night and I was like, well, those people, they don't even know the cliff they just jumped off of. Like, there's going to be some serious work in the next six months. And I was like, I feel like I'm getting off easy because I know I can do this. And I was like, I think I'm going to sign up for my first full Ironman. And I had such a hard story at that time of my life. Those people are Ironmans. Athletes, fit people, strong people, tough people. I'm not them. Those people are amazing, but... That's not for me. I, I could never do that. Well, let's call the BS and, you know, impulsively in the middle of the night, I found the only Ironman I could, which was in Western Australia, that was open seven months from that point. And that started my journey doing more significant endurance athletics. It was a big growth path for me. Ironmans, I ended up doing open water swimming as part of that. I'm known for the only guy to swim across and back Crater Lake. That was a big swim, no wetsuit, no assistance. No one's ever done it. I just kind of found adventure and physical adventures to be very, like I said before, a dojo, like a place of where I found growth in prepping for these things and then also while doing the things. But the prep was almost, I mean, there's so much more time and so many more twists and turns. So that is part of the growth too of training sessions, the gathering people, the getting logistics together, like all these things that happen in preparing for a journey. And that's where this lens of adventure comes from. It's like everything for me kind of feels like an adventure. In my intro, I said that having children was one of your biggest adventures. Why has that been such a big adventure for you? 40 years old not married, not in a partnership, um, getting old. Is this too old to have kids? I don't know. Like, uh, maybe. Oh, wait, I'm gay. Oh, that's going to be a little more of a problem. How does that work out? I'm not even sure marriage is legal in California at this point. The world's telling me that I'm not really good enough to have a partnership. And I, I really, maybe you can have a civil thing, but we don't let you get married. So maybe they're right. Maybe that's not a really good thing. And and man, if I raised kids without a mom, like, oof, there's a lot of stories out there. I hear people thumping lots of banners saying things that maybe some of that's true. So that was kind of hard to kind of look through. Eventually got through like, oh, I think I can do this. It'll be different, but I could do this with a partner. But a kid needs to have two parents because that's like... There are all these rules in your head, yeah? Totally. I, it's modeled everywhere. And for years. And so it's like big enough to break the mold of mom. I love my parents. You know, so it's like, 
Am I like doing it in defiance of that? And so eventually through twists and turns, I very much got to a place where I was like, oh, I can have kids on my own as a single parent. And a hundred percent, is that a different, original, unique way to start a family? Yes. But is it bad? No. It's different, but loving and good, but just just different, parallel different, not less than. And I didn't feel like I was justifying that and just saying that, but really I believe like, oh, I'm gonna give my I'm gonna mess up my kids, or there's some scarcity mindset. It was like, no, it, there's pros to being a single parent 100%. And I knew that going in, and that kind of helped buoyed and fueled me into stepping into this. And I, I want to connect the dot before we go too far ahead to go backwards, is I very much, I can remember the moment I crossed the finish line of my first Ironman. I can see the moment I crossed the line. I could, the picture is so clear. I'm like two-thirds of the way over to the right, I'm going through, I look up at the booth and mike riley announcer announces that epic thing if you do iron man says he says tony lilios you are an iron man and i just remember like being in this moment of wow that's that's something i can't minimize and let go of i have to own that now i am that i've done it and i can't discount it and it made me like well but this is only seven months ago i was that guy in that room in boston saying no effing way am i going to do this and i remember this shattering of this glass box around my head feeling of like what the hell else am i convincing myself i can't do what other things are lurking in my shadows inside my soul that i am believing to be true and absolutely that is the initial thread significant crucible moment of i think i can start a family on my own I keep going back to that. I have an embodied, visceral, painful memory of, whoa, I just did something. I was convinced that not me. (laughs) You're looking at the wrong guy. That's not me. Those are other people. And the double whammy is like months later, I ran my first marathon and Boston qualified. And I was like, I'm not a runner. I'm not that guy who ran track in high school, cross country. I did the things and threw it down and qualified by nine seconds, but I qualified. I'm that guy. Whoa. And it just started this cascade of, okay, homie, what stories are we telling? And how do we dismantle these things? What's external, what's internal? And so, yeah, so that, that was very much a grand adventure kind of getting into it. And it has continued to be with my kids now 10 and 8. So I just want to jump in for a sec, because you're saying something that I suspect is important to every single person that is listening to this podcast, which is even as someone who in many ways did not see barriers in life, you grew up in this soup of everything is possible. And you, you use the phrase in a, another podcast that I listened to you on of having a practice of finding a way. You just find a way and you swim in the soup, and yet you still had things in your life where you were making up stories about, well, I'm not that person. I can't do that. And I think it's so important to point out that even if you are supremely confident in certain parts of your life around, I can figure this out, I can do it, it's always useful to be looking at, yeah, but where am I making up shit about what I can't do? Absolutely. And it's never ending. There's more and more edges of things to throw down and to push out the margins. I just spent the last two weeks 
with Richard Branson and his family, his, his nephew and his son. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it was like, and part of the reason I chose that was I want to like be around this guy that feels like he's doing that. He's 73 ish. The guy is continuing to like ask questions, push down barriers personally, professionally, relationally. I want to keep doing that because I think, like you say, Sherry, like I'm already there in some ways, but there isn't a there. It's like, there's still, there's more and more. And the things that I do have is the aid of tools and history and practices to like, oh, well then how do I navigate further when I kind of bump up against the edge and, and what do I do? That's a great observation. You know, Tony, it's, it strikes me where all three of us are coaches here on this call. And we've done a lot of talking about thinking through things and figuring our way out. And we've done a lot of talking about the, the physicality of, for instance, doing Ironmans. I'm curious a little bit about internal Tony and the emotions as well. And when we were prepping for this call, you talked about the difference between belonging and fitting in. And I'm curious where that has been a struggle for you and how you are kind of wrestling with it now. Thanks for bringing that up. That's like really present for me right now. I'm getting chills because I'm in it right now. I came out when I was 27. I'm 54 now. So half my life ago, I've you know, struggled in the beginning, but I feel like for the last 15, 20 years, Tony, out, everybody knows, no big deal. It's just kind of part of my life. And I had this experience when I went to a friend of mine's coffee shop here in Reno called Coffee Bar. And as so many times I've done before, I come up to the front door and I see a rainbow flag. And I'm like, damn it, that flag still makes me go, oh. Like relax. Yes. The phrase I use is like, exhale a breath I didn't even know I was holding. I wasn't insecure. I'm in Reno doing whatever. But part of me is obviously searching for safety and clinging. And doing my job to fit in and not do the wrong thing to suddenly get targeted. Because every time I see that rainbow flag, there's a part of me that just relaxes, warms up. And there's a a bit of sense of like, I get to step in here a little more confidently and a little more wings spreading. And then the double whammy with this coffee bar place is behind the counter, there's a sign that says, you belong here. And I was like, whoa, yes. It's the sense of belonging. And then also, I suddenly got the sense of like, that flag is a signal and a sign, not just for gay people. It's that. It's come as you are. This is a space where we want you as you are, and you're not going to get judged for it. And we actually invite it. We put the rainbow flag on the door. Bring the color. And so from that experience, I've started to notice the situations in which I am fitting in where I kind of cut off the edges and be the Tony that just like, we'll get through this moment easier or be the person the person wants me to be because they think I'm XYZ, so I'll be XYZ for you. Versus the moments where belonging is, it's very different than fitting in. It's like, I get to just be me and I 100% and I'm safe in that zone. And those are different spaces, different gears. And I'm in that space now of noticing when I'm doing which. I'm not saying like, oh, I, I always act in the sense of I always want to belong and I'm 100% myself. But I can notice that distinction now of what am I doing here? And what it's invited is a sense of, I don't think I need to fit in right now. I think I've got a habit 
an old story, a habit that I need to fit in in this moment. And you know what? I think that's BS. And I'm going to just kind of unfurl a little bit and not overthink everything I'm saying about blah, blah, blah. What does your wife think about that? Would you buy your wife for Valentine's Day? Moment to decide. Do I just answer, don't have a wife? Do I tell them I'm gay? I have a partner. Like, what do I do in these moments? I'm finding more now that I feel more conscious about making the choice of just dating it life as it is, being who I am. And it's great. <laughs> it feels awesome when it's not met with fanfare or like over resistance, but just like an unfolding and, and an opening and an offering, not a Okay, here we go. I'm going to say the thing. I'm gay. Oh, God. Right. Now. Let's like, oh, <laughs> this is going to go. And even sometimes it's like, oh, the curious questions. Like, I had no idea. Blah, blah, blah. Even that's like, oh, gosh. I just wanted to like get through the moment. Like, I didn't really want to have a conversation about being gay or why you're surprised or how I was surprised at 27 and didn't know myself. And like, you know, so yeah, so that's where I'm at with it right now. So, Tony, you've been talking a lot about having to consciously make decisions about belonging versus fitting in. And I think every human does that to some extent, but in some ways being a gay man is probably even a little tougher than, I don't know, me and Sherry, for instance, depending on the situation, I guess. And so I'm just, I'm curious when you think about this idea of belonging, are there roots somewhere that you can think of about how this idea of belonging has been challenging for you? Where did that start? Or is there something you could remember that really kicked it off? Yeah, it's the experience of fitting in. Like you said, we all do this. We kind of navigate through life. But then sometimes the fitting in thing is so distasteful. You're like, I'm complicit with this horrible thing. I feel dirty. The first thing that comes to mind is my boyfriend in Australia was coming to visit in Hawaii. and. There was this moment where when my both parents were alive, I was like, Mom, I'm out to you, but I'm not out to dad. And I really would love, even just for you to meet my boyfriend, that was so meaningful to me. And she refused. She's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to further the secrets or whatever. And she refused to to meet him. And I was like, but he's such an important person in my life. And I'm like, I'm just asking you to meet him. So I ended up having to like, go to another part of the island and I'm like, parents are on the fucking island and here I am traveling around Oahu hoping we don't bump into each other trying to have an amazing time and it was like, this is creepy like weird high school sneaky stuff and then that got amplified even more so when I finally did come out to my dad after my mom passed away. He had a horrible reaction to it you know, wanting to disown me, write me out of the will, this is worse than your mother dying. Wow. It's like, that's how, yeah. Like, oh my gosh, we all love my mom. And then that would manifest itself where he would spend time in Greece half the year. And he's like, you're not welcome. Do not show up on Greek soil when I'm there and expect to be open and gay and bringing somebody into Greece. And even after he died and when I show up in Greece, do I bring my partner to dinner? Do we call him his partner? Does he sit next to me? I mean, literally, my relatives will sometimes have him sit on another part of the table. And it, it'll take one conscious relative to be like, oh, we're not going to play this game. He's going to sit next to Tony. But 
I'm like in that position of, do I fit in and just let them be comfortable and just let them sit, whatever. And we're just going to have a pleasant and there's kind and pleasant, but it's like not calling out the elephant in the room of, did you not get the last three years of Christmas cards of us together? He's, <laughs> right. he's not just like a living friend. <laughs> Come on. Right. And so do I have to declare it? So you get in these situations where you're like, uh, sometimes they, they perpetuate where it's like, now I didn't fully disclose and we didn't fully talk about that. And then it becomes, well, do they know? Do they not know? And then you have to kind of keep track in your mind of where did I leave it with this person when I pick it up with them? And it just gets exhausting. It feels like you're lying like a little kid that stole cookie from a cookie jar or something. Yeah, I have a lower and lower tolerance for that now. And I don't want to come to waving big rainbow flags where it's like, wee, because that's kind of a, re- a reaction to the rubber band being pulled back. But there is much more of a sense now of just like opening up the kimono metaphorically, you know, being more myself, natural, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, in more situations. There's so much that you're saying that is really powerful and interesting. And one of the pieces that jumps out at me is this very conscious awareness of when you're having to consciously fit in. There's the piece where sometimes you are fitting in because you belong. They become one and the same. I fit in here because I belong here. And what you're speaking to, though, is the very deliberate, I have to pretend something, or I have to take care of everybody else in a way that I'm not allowed to just show up and belong here because I am who I am. It's just a very interesting distinction that sometimes you do fit in because you belong, but when you have to start making choices about, I have to act like this, or I have to pretend this in order to be here, it becomes a very, very different scenario and is not always easy choices to make. Absolutely. And just a little word clarification there is that I have to do anything is that I choose to do it. So I feel conscious and empowered in it, but it's the, this is the easier way in the situation, less likely to cause frothiness. And then sometimes you get entangled like, oh, but now this person thinks you have a wife and now they're giving you all this sex advice or something you're like, or you're suddenly oh like, God. Oh now, <laughs> now what do I do? Now I'm just like, now I don't want to further embarrass them. And now you're just like, Oh, how do I get the ripcord? So that was kind of a trite example, but it does kind of get like that. You know, I had a client who was Baptist who didn't know I was gay. We were super deep into this months in, and then suddenly, you know, he has a gay son and was not okay with that and was starting to share a lot of his feelings and thoughts around gay people. And now I'm like, oh wow. Now, now what do I do? do? I, is it now, yeah. now now is it now the moment? Or now you're like, oh and mea culpa, because I definitely tried to fit in and just be that unambiguous. I try to be more the coach that I try to sh- peel off a few, la- not peel off layers, but fit in. I cut off some edges at the beginning of the engagement for the sake of like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Just keep it simple. Let's get some saltine crackers in here. And because I'm just the coach, it doesn't matter who I am. It's all about them. But then I was like, oh my gosh, if this guy finds out, this might feel very uncomfortable for him. And so those situations, 
are not uncommon. It happens a lot. I'm trying to reduce that. Well, I love what you said about, it's almost like it's an unconscious effort that fitting in sometimes. And what I'm hearing you say is I'm bringing more consciousness to it such that let's be honest. There are times when we dress a certain way. There are times when we address people a certain way, right? There's, there's certain ways that we fit in, which are fine just because they're, you know, whatever, but to the degree that it's making yourself smaller, what I hear you saying is that you are bringing consciousness to those times such that you choose actively how you're going to show up in any given moment. And the idea of belonging, the other thing that I'm hearing is it somewhat starts inside as well. And that in order to belong in any situation, it's kind of an inside game first. hundred percent. So just a uh, name dropping in the thing with the Richard Branson, it's like here, I met him once before, hung out for a day totally out to him. I feel totally comfortable with him. There's nothing to be or pretend to be or anything with him. But this is now like a a larger group, you know, his family, some inside friends that all know each other very well. And there was a a moment in that beginning of like, am I going to sit here and fit in and be the default straight guy? Because everyone I can see is straight. Am I going to do that here? And I did for a moment. There was a moment I remember, like, right, it was two weeks. So there was like, oh, I got some time here. And I was like, no, don't don't start down the path that you're going to have to then unwind. And then then that becomes kind of a reveal. No, just keep it open and keep it natural. So it was a very conscious, I know that I'm going to belong in this group. Look at these people. These are not, this is safe, people. But I have to, like, think about that. And I have to remember because my younger self being around successful people and all these people, like I got to make sure like they like me and I like, I fit right in and I'm their bro. And I'm just, it was nice to have that experience where I felt like I didn't have to do that and got to practice with that. Like lots of conversations, lots of situations, you know, a handful of people that, and even at the end, there were still people that were like, Oh, and so you're looking forward to seeing your wife. And I'm like, dude, we're in day 10. Did you not get the memo? And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's like awesome. So then it feels like, oh, it didn't become this scuttlebutt. Like, oh, did you know Tony? Like, but the fact that you still don't know, mister, is like, that's kind of cool. Like I've told 95% of the people and you somehow got, didn't get the message. And that's great. It's also not the only thing that defines you. And so it's like, can that be the thing that just, oh yeah, no, no wife. Got a great partner at home, but yeah. Yeah, and that that used to always be my narrative. Like when I was coming out, I was like, don't you define me about being gay. Like I've got all these other things. And I would kind of try to push it down to make sure that these things, but it almost gave it extra energy. This experience from this these past couple of weeks has been nice to just like, and I'm wearing a blue shirt and I'm gay and I live in Lake Tahoe <laughs> and I've got right. kids. Don't presume where this is going to go. Just let it be and see how that feels in it felt nice and it felt like at sometimes it got over amplified and i'd overplay the gay card and it felt natural like oh this is kind of fun because it's relevant to the situation so i'm gonna like ham it up right now or like oh no it's not really important right now or now we're with the king or we're with something like i definitely there were situations like it is <laughs> yeah like we were with we're in very traditional country with culture and and i was like maybe this is not the moment to like bring it up. And I'm fine with that. It's like, it's going to be a passing experience. I'm just choose that. And it felt fine. And there was this moment I remember of, it was with one of our guides 
I was actively avoiding the topic. And then after I avoided it, because he felt conservative to me, and I was like, well, I don't feel like having this conversation right now on top of mountain when I'm exhausted and about to puke. Like, I was just kind of like, no. So I felt like it was going to be a conversation. And then the part that I left that moment thinking, my gosh, if that guy was gay, and that was a moment that could have felt supportive and connective, shame on me for missing that moment. It was just like, I know how important that is for other people. I know how important that is for me on my journey, wherever it is, to see representation or just people sharing like we're doing today. And so there was a part of me that was like, for the sake of others, you just robbed him of a possible growth experience, whether or not he's gay. And it started to internalize it as selfish. And I kind of robbed him of an experience he could have really grown from. And so that helps inform me to maybe next time. I'm not going to go back and have that conversation and unwind it and fix it. But I'm like, "Mm, I could do better. I think we could talk for the rest of the afternoon, (laughs) but we're kind of nearing that time. I'm thinking about little Tony who was riding down the freeway in that station wagon with 10 bicycles strapped to it. And I'm just wondering if you could go back and, and whisper any words of wisdom to your younger self, what you might say to him. I think it's that mantra that life is always good. There's so much goodness and richness always ever present. And it's about connecting to that in all those moments when it's obviously freaking awesome, but also when it feels like so cloudy and there's such goodness always all around and available. Just have to connect to it. Those are beautiful, beautiful words of wisdom. And Tony, it has been so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And on that note, we'll wrap up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. And as we head into the holiday season, Anne and I both wish you happy holidays and a happy and healthy new year. We'll be back in January with our next episode. Please join us then for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life.